0: As we're looking through Mark's Gospel, we came across Mark 7. Let me read it to you, Mark 7, verses 21 to 23. It says this, For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these things come from the inside and defile a person. Well, We looked at that earlier in our small groups uh, but I guess we know the obvious, don't we? We know in our hearts and minds, and we feel the pressure from all sides. Look at that word. That word translated sexual immorality in Mark 7 uh, is actually from the Greek word, word porneia. And it is a catch all phrase that catches all. But I'm not going to speak today on the obvious. I'm not going to look at what sexual immorality is, detailing every possible avenue that we fall into and kind of trip over. It's interesting that Jesus never uh, feels the need to explicitly define uh, that phrase, so broad as its reach and definition. But if you like, sexual immorality is any sexual expression outside of the boundaries of a biblically defined marriage. Hence, as we're all feeling right now, it catches all. Whatever our relationship status. The other obvious thing to state about sexual immorality is this. Uh, we always know that we're doing it. By contrast, you see, Jesus has to warn and watch warn us that we might watch out for things like greed. That can creep up on us. We can be unaware that we're becoming more and more greedy. So Jesus says, again, watch out, watch out the whole time. That is never the case for sexual immorality, is it? You can never say, "Oh, oh, I didn't realise. So I'm not going to examine the obvious, but rather we're going to look at the subject of intimacy. Why? I want us to show I want us to kind of show if I can that when we get intimacy wrong in our lives, we often get other things wrong, particularly things like sex and relationships, whether in our singleness, in our marriages, in our friendships and our families too. That is, I want us to go to the cause rather than the symptom. You have an outline, it's on your sheets there. I hope it's helpful. We'll run through it quickly. As I said, this is not our bread and butter. Normally we just kind of run through a book. I think that is probably the most helpful way to handle the Bible. But I pray that this is a helpful exception on a challenging and very personal issue. I want us to begin, if you look on your outlines there, by acknowledging that we are intimate beings we are intimate beings that have been created for intimacy as Christians we understand that we are creatures of a creator God a God who is in his very nature intimate God is intimate as a community of persons united in love the triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit they enjoy eternal intimate communion with one another Before the foundation of the world, the Father delighted in his Son in the bond of the Spirit, we say. Virtually every verse where you look in the Bible, uh, looking at pre-creation existence and life of God, it describes the Father focusing his affections and purposes on his Son. For example, in John 17, verse 5, we read, And now, Father, glorify me... In your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Uh, you could turn to many other passages, John 3, and John 5. I can give you a whole list later if you'd like. Likewise, the Son, in the power of the Spirit, commits himself utterly to his Father. Uh, John 17 again, verse 4. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. There's many other passages we could turn to, and I can give you a list later. God is intimate, Father, Son, and Spirit, and is united in this eternal, intimate love. Always has been, always will be. Now, we, as creatures of a creator God, are made in his image. We are made in his image. So, Genesis 1, 27 reads as we were looking at Revive uh, just last week. Um, It says this, So God created mankind in his own image. In in the image of God, he created them. Male, female, he created them. So male and female, whoever we are, we are made in the image of an intimate God. Despite what many think, no, men did not miss out on this. We are like God, all of us, male and female, in this way. And because we are created by a divine intimacy, we're intended for divine intimacy. As we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're filled with the same spirit. We share in that same eternal love as adopted children of God. And you can read about that, for example, in Romans 8, 15 or verse 29. We do not have kind of a latent potential for intimacy and relationship. That can be kind of muted, you know, kind of turned, switched on and off at will. We are by nature intimate beings, made in the image of an intimate God, who creates us with this capacity and desire for intimate relationships, intimate relationship with him and with one another. And therefore God, at the beginning of time, before sin enters the world, says to Adam in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 2 verse 18, He says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. See, we are created for intimate relationships with one another. It is not good for us, man, to be alone. Now the story of the Bible is essentially a love story of God reaching out to his people so that they will not be alone, spiritually, with him. The Bible story is, in its essence, the story of humanity's perverted desire, though, to be alone, to try and think they can do it their way, to do their thing, ignoring God's loving word and his intimate embrace. But God intervenes, he reaches out so that we can be intimately united with him. The hard heartedness that you see in the Old Testament, throughout the, the Old Testament, in the people of God, is voiced in their desire simply to go in alone. They want to say, no, well, I'm going to do it our way. They turn their backs on God, which is, of course, what we get if we persistently turn our backs on God. We will be handed over to, essentially, an eternal loneliness and justice, knowing no intimacy, only isolation. But to be alone is not how God created us to be. Rather, he has created us to be in intimate relationship with him and with others too, in families and in churches and communities. It is not good for man to be alone. We have been created for intimacy, intimate relationships. But hard-heartedness, our sin, our rebellion against God and his loving way for our lives often leads us to be confused about where we seek intimacy in our lives. We've seen God's intention, if you like, in our first point here and his design. Now let's look at the reality and also the confusion we see in our own lives and in many others regarding intimacy. So second point, confusion about intimacy I think we often get confused about intimacy when we look for it in the wrong places. I don't want to sort of lay the guilt trip on here, but I I guess many of us, I don't know. Have you ever done something that you think will make you feel better? That will make you feel perhaps less uh, lonely? That you think it will fill that kind of intimacy hole in your life? Have you ever done something that you think will fill that? And in reality what happens... You just get more empty, more alone. I'm sure we've all been there in different ways. This is not a beat-up, though. But the reality is, I think, that often we look for intimacy that we were designed to enjoy, but we look in the wrong places. Why do we do this? I think our confusion about intimacy is often a product. It's often a product, you see on that sub-point there. It's often a product of our confusion about our identity, If you were asked, you know, who are you? What would you say? How would you answer? Would you begin with your gender? Oh, I'm a I'm a man, and or I'm a woman, whichever. You know, your nationality, your relationship status. What is your identity? Some place their relationship status first. you know I'm, I'm single and then I'm maybe national to British, and, uh, and they go on from there. What whatever it could be? It's interesting that some place their sexuality first, don't they, particularly the LGBT community. But what about us? If you're a Christian here today, what is your identity? John 1, John 1 verse 12 and 13 says this: "Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in His name." He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now you see, if you're a Christian here today, your primary identity is that you are in Christ. You have put your faith in him, you're bound to him, that faith union in him. Everything else that you are in your identity is temporary. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm I'm British, I'm a son. Those are true descriptions of my identity... But they're all temporary. I am eternally in Christ. I will forever, as John Hood put it, I am forever be a child of God. Because I have believed and trusted in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And I have per- trusted in his powerful life, death and resurrection. Now my confusion begins when I, be- I think that my identity as a, a married man, a British man, a father, whatever. If I think of those any more important than my identity in Christ... I'll begin to struggle in so many ways. I am a child of God and God calls me through his word to be who I am in him. That is to live as his adopted son, bound for heaven, saved by the blood of Jesus. That I'm a father, a husband, a minister, a a boss. All of those may be important but they are secondary and they ought to be moulded by the primary. That I am a... An adopted child of God. Now we are not alone in this confusion of identity. Even back in the Garden of Eden, Adam's sin in a sense was a confusion of his identity. He believed that he knew best. He didn't see God as the creator God and he didn't see himself as the created created creature. He thought he could take things into his own hands. And you see what happens with Adam is that his confusion about his identity um, leads to, and our second little point here, is a confusion about authority. If we see ourselves in Christ as children of God, then of course, we will, if we see our identity right, we'll look to the right authority in our lives. We'll see our Heavenly Father, we'll want to listen to Him. We want to uh, live by His wisdom and, rule and, and loving rule and authority in our lives revealed through His Word, the Bible. As Luke eleven twenty eight says, this he says, blessed or happy rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it, who live it out. See, if we understand ourselves firstly as God's children, if we get our identity right, we'll want to be blessed by God. We we'll want to be honoured by God. That is, we'll want to look to His authoritative word, the Bible, and live it out. Obey it. But you see, if you get your identity wrong, if you begin to look to then other authorities in your lives, for example, how you feel can become very quickly authoritative in your life. What others are doing around you can very quickly become authoritative in your life. What are we doing? We're beginning to then exchange what we know to be true of God and His loving will for our lives, and we're beginning to submit to another authority, either from within, oh, that feels good to me right now, or an authority without, that is, oh, everyone else is doing, I might as well join in. Romans 1, obvious place to turn, Romans 1.25, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the created. Do you see the pattern? If you get confused about who you are, your identity, that can very quickly lead to confusion about the authority in and over our lives. But I don't think confusion stops there. The practical outworking of that leads to confusion throughout our lives in many ways. When we begin to think outside of the authoritative word of God, or we try to import into God's word what we want it to say about a particular thing, How quickly things can change. Our expectations in life become skewed. The first confusion, I think, given we're looking at the subject of intimacy, let's look at intimacy itself. How quickly we can become confused about it. We begin, like everyone around us, believing that intimacy is the sole preserve of the sexual relationship. If you neglect God's good design that intimacy is to be enjoyed with him, good friends, good family, good church family. If we look to other authorities, the world around us, and we'll look at that more in a moment, we'll very quickly skew what intimacy is for. Think about it, if you type intimacy into Google, you can imagine what results pop up, can't you? Don't do it. I did it this week. Um, It was like my internet software, which monitors my um, kind of like usage on the internet, was like alarm bells were ringing for about four hours, and I was getting texts from my friends saying, "What are you looking at?" He was like, "Stop it! Stop it now!" Our culture has reduced intimacy to the sexual domain alone, and the ramifications of this are utterly catastrophic for us and our society. Loneliness abounds. If sexual intimacy isn't found, frustration and emptiness strikes when sexual intimacy doesn't meet the all-encompassing um, expectation that society plays on it, places on it. See, if you confuse uh, your identity and the authority of God's word in your life, you will very, very quickly have confused expectations about intimacy. You'll believe the authority of Google and uh, of the world around you rather than the authority of God's word. And you'll just find yourself looking for intimacy in the wrong places. Other confusions uh, reign as well uh, around this subject. Perhaps on the the idea of just happiness itself. Suddenly often here, either implicitly or explicitly, something like this. Oh, of course, God wants me to be happy. Really? I mean, where where do you find that? Actually, in the Bible, the word joy and the word happiness are synonyms. Uh, they, they, they're used pretty much interchangeably. Uh, for example, in Psalm 32, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Old translations actually just said, Happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Or Joyful is the one. See, in some, it, it's extraordinary how we have skewed what happiness is. Our understanding of happiness today is not the same that we read in, in the Bible it is completely different. Happiness, if you Google it, or if you, you know, look in a dictionary, is the short-lived emotion. With big smiles, excited hearts, Is that endorphin rush with a feeling of elation. Joy, as we know it, and understand it, which is the more biblical understanding, is the deep-seated reality, not the immediate response to circumstances. So God, does he really want you to be happy as we understand it today? what does he want he certainly wants you to mature in your faith and become more like Jesus doesn't he Ephesians 4 says he longs that we become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ verse 12 and 13 what else do we know that God wants for us desires for us well we know he wants us to rejoice Philippians 4 for example verse 4 rejoice in the Lord always I will say again rejoice of course God in his love for us wants us to be growing, becoming more like Christ. He wants us to be joyful in him, deep-seated, uh, satisfaction in the work that he's done through his son, the Lord Jesus. Yes, but happy? Where'd you go to find that? Think about it. You know, happiness as we understand it today is not, it's not a fruit of the spirit, is it? It's not a beatitude, it's it's simply a temporary fleeting emotion where as joy in Christ is eternal. And that is what the loving creator God wants for you and for me. But because of the culture in which we live, our skewed expectations can lead us to think that that God is there to make us happy. To provide happiness. Happiness, not, not as he Sovereignly degrees, but as we want and choose in the moment that we live. What does it look like? Well, I turn to great wisdom here in the words of Pharrell Williams and those little yellow minions in Despicable Me. Apparently, to be happy is to clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. See what he's saying? I could go on. The verse is brilliant. It's really insightful. Happiness is just living without a care in the world. It's living your way. And therefore, for so many, happiness is understood as enjoying intimacy. After all, that is what we are created for. But intimacy defined by us, and defined by Google, the world around us, limited to enjoying sexual relationship. So when we don't get it, you see the problem. Let's be clear, God never promises happiness as we define it. Also, intimacy is not the sole preserve of the sexual relationship. Let's look at that confusion, it's the last one. I think we have a confusion because of how we look, where we look for our authority and understanding our identity. We have a confusion that we idolise the sexual relationship to a dangerous level. Again, it is a product of our confusion about identity and authority. We take our eyes off of God's authoritative word. We make that which is good, that is marriage, into something that it was never designed to be. Marriage is not the ultimate or life-defining relationship in our lives. It simply points And two, and illustrates the ultimate relationship that Christians enjoy with Christ, as we read in Ephesians 5. If we idolise marriage, if we begin to believe that the world around us, uh, and we begin to believe the world around us and think that we are incomplete if we are single and celibate, if we ignore, for example, the life of Jesus, Paul, and many men throughout his, many, many women throughout history who have served God faithfully and enjoyed a full and satisfying life in their singleness. If we confuse and ignore all of this, we'll place a burden on our lives as single people and even as married people that is crushing and is so damaging. And therefore as a church, we need to be more realistic about what marriage is. It is wonderful. It is a God ordained thing, but it will not complete you and it may very well burden you. Bringing two sinners together as one flesh union is hard work. Oh, married couples, I think we need to be more realistic. Yes, intimacy is found in the marriage and it should be encouraged. But not just sexually and certainly not exclusively to the detriment of friendships and most importantly the intimacy that we can know with God. If married, do not place a burden on your marriage that it was never designed to bear. The intimacy that we have been created for can be expressed in marriage in many ways but it will never be ultimately fulfilled in our marriages. And if not married... Do not overburden yourself with the desire to get married because one day you may get married and be disappointed. It doesn't meet your expectations. We must not idolise the marriage relationship. And also, I think, on the other more positive side, we must be clear, faithful and positive about singleness. Oh, I know that if we turn to 1 Corinthians 7, which is Paul's, uh, perhaps, most obvious place to turn uh, with regard to singleness. It is a very hard to hear passage given the culture in which we live. Interestingly, only a couple of generations ago, uh, singleness is understood as a wonderful privilege. Singleness was esteemed. God is clear in his word. singleness is good and it affords many, many opportunities to serve with complete, undivided, Devotion to God and his work, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. I want to ask, do you believe that? Do you feel that to be true? It is very, very, very hard. Given cultural norms. But who are you? Who are you? If you are a child of God... Whose authority are you under? Whose word are you going to listen to? And whose word are you going to obey? So we've seen that we've been created for intimacy, but when we confuse our identity, when we look and listen to others and not God, that can lead to all sorts of confusion in this subject in our lives. Last thing, I'm going to turn very quickly to the more practical and personal. I'm going to leave good time because I think we probably need some questions Um, And I know that I'm not essentially closing everything off. I want to leave some things open because I want us to be able to ask lots of questions, I think, and practically apply. I want us lastly to look at the subject of just plausible biblical intimacy. Plausible. Why? Because I think many of us here know what God's Word says on this subject. The big problem, I think, is that we feel perhaps that it is unfair. We just don't think it's livable or a good option. Is the biblical life uh, according to what uh, we know of intimacy, that we can have intimacy with God, that we must have good intimacy with friendships and, uh, and, and it's, yeah, yes we yes, with a marriage relationship but that singleness is good, is that plausible? Is it doable? Is it livable? plausible and then biblical, because as Christians we will want to honour God, I hope, and obey his word. I have a number of points very quickly to finish with. Firstly, that intimacy is good and necessary. We've been created to be intimate with God and with one another. We must encourage each other to be intimate in God-honouring ways, which requires us to be vulnerable and accountable and therefore livable and good. Secondly, we must encourage intimacy in our relationship with God. If we're desiring it so much elsewhere, first and foremost, we must encourage intimacy in our relationship with God. And that will mean for each of us individually and together, spending time with him in prayer, intimate prayer where we are pouring out our hearts and our lives to him, when did you last just cry your eyes out before God? And if not, how vulnerable have you ever got before God? Probably not enough. We need to hear him speak through his word daily, to come under his authority and recognise who we are as his children. When did you last ask a friend? When did I last ask a friend how their devotional times were going in the morning? We must encourage intimacy in our relationship with God positively. Thirdly, we must encourage intimacy in our friendships. I did a talk on friendship a few years ago, and I did actually listen to it. It was really good. Oh, there we go. <laughs> listen to that, it was brilliant. Um, I did it a couple of years ago from Proverbs. We must encourage intimacy in our friendships. Whether married or not, we need good intimate friends. Not Facebook friends, that's a nonsense. But friends we can share our lives with, pray with, cry with. I came off Facebook and no one noticed. I got to a thousand friends. I'm really popular, aren't I? And I came off and no one noticed, even the two adults that I was living with, my wife included, didn't spot for six months. That's how good friendships are on Facebook. If we're single, it's helpful to have good healthy friendships with both sexes without jumping to any silly conclusions with one another. Married people do not hide away from single people open up your home so that they can see the reality of a married life but also that they can love and serve you and you them. Encourage intimacy in our friendships. I hope you are. Fourthly, ignore the lie that intimacy is found only in the sexual relationship. And if you struggle with this, That is, you you watch the films and they say that you will be utterly complete and skipping along through meadows and all this kind of thing, you know, because you found sexual intimacy. Just don't watch them. If you begin to believe the lie, you need to stop fueling the lie. Get with reality. Because for many, sex is hard and it's a lifelong struggle. Fifthly, uh, be careful with who you are intimate with. It's very easy isn't it to become emotionally intimate with someone who is married, but they are off limits if you are single. Emotional dependence with someone in the marriage relationship is utterly out of bounds. Lastly, I want to finish with this. And again, I know I've opened up a whole bunch of things here, and I've done that intentionally. I wanted to say, is John 10.10 10 believable? I think that's the big question that we need to ask. Is John 10.10 believable? It says this. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. The question is, as a child of God, understanding your identity, understanding that you come under the sound and the authority of God's word, listening to Jesus' words through the Bible, is his way of life, is his design for your life full? Do you believe that? If he calls you to singleness or a, a difficult marriage or a, 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 anything in struggle where you, you, you feel that you're not getting the intimacy that you want, do you feel that is full life? Or are you seeing the avenues where he offers intimacy with him, with friendships, and church family? Is it plausible? Can you do it? Well, I think the, the biggest problems are you've got to know who you are. You've got to know the authority in your life and know where you can find appropriate God-honouring intimacy. You must encourage that, build that, and plan for that. Plan for it. If you struggle to go home to an empty house, you need to plan. I have to say, I've, I've read this, um, I'm going to finish with this. In a moment you're going to talk to one another and find out if there's any questions you want to ask. Can I encourage you? this book um, is written by someone I've only met once. I was incredibly impressed by him as a speaker. His name is Ed Shaw. Um, he's a single guy, a minister down in Bristol, um, who has same-sex attraction. This book is all about um, the church, us, and same-sex attraction. But by gum, the, the applications for us as a whole, particularly regarding intimate friendships, uh, I think is well worth a read for all of us. Um, and so I'd, I'd very much recommend that to you. So why don't you turn to the people beside you. Is there any questions uh, that you'd like to ask? Any applications? Now I know, let, let me just sort of preface this. You have to ask, the question is, I don't you don't ever say, I feel like this. Just say, oh, I was having a conversation with a friend down the road. Um, and preface everything that you say in that way, and then we'll keep it anonymous, and that'll be fine. Because we're British, we like to do things like that. Right, talk to people beside you, and we're asking questions in a moment.